The TV show is now available on Amazon, running the Triple Crown. Ryan Clayton and I collaborated on this project. Six episodes, they're all available now on Amazon, so check that out if you get a chance. We're going to start off this episode with an audio article from Jake Jackson, friend of the show, just extremely nice guy. I got to hang out with him during Desert Solstice for a few minutes, and I reached out to him just because I know, you know, what a good guy he is, what a, a, a well-spoken guy he is, and I thought there was a story there. I wasn't sure, and man, he came back with an unbelievable article, and sit back, relax, enjoy this audio article. It's brought to you by Training for Adventure. If you're wondering what that is, it's a whole new website broadening out what Training for Ultra has done within ultra running, and it's applying it to all endurance sports and more of an adventure aspect. So check it out for exclusive content. And here's just an awesome article from Jake Jackson. The Imposter Within by Jake Jackson. Wikipedia defines the term imposter syndrome as a psychological pattern in which an individual doubts their accomplishments or talents and has a persistent internalized fear of being exposed as a fraud. Despite external evidence for their competence, those experiencing this phenomenon remain convinced that they are frauds and do not deserve all they have achieved. 2018 was a breakout year for me in running. I had changed my diet and started training on a more consistent basis, upping my weekly mileage from 80 to over 100 miles in some of my peak training blocks. My confidence in running abilities also started to improve during the course of the year as well. I had won my first 100 miler at Coldwater Rumble, set a course record at my first 24-hour race, placed second at Angeles Crest 100, and won the Havelina 100K all in the first 10 months of the year. By all accounts, I had far exceeded any expectations I had for myself. I had dealt with imposter syndrome in a few instances during that time, but the worst bout came at the end of 2018 when I gained entry to run the Desert Solstice Invitational 24-hour race in Phoenix, Arizona. The race is held on a high school track and allows runners to chase various distance and time records, which in turn brings in some of the best ultra-endurance athletes in the world. With me still being a novice to these types of races, I had no idea this race was also one of the last opportunities to qualify for the U.S. National 24-hour world team held the following year. Every week leading up to the race brought in bigger and bigger names, and by all accounts, it was to be one of the most stacked fields the event had ever seen. How am I ever going to compete with these ultra-running badasses, I questioned myself. I was going to be lining up next to highly experienced, professionally sponsored runners, most of which have had articles written about them in magazines, and a few of which were running idols of mine. I'm just a truck driver, not an elite runner, I thought. As I toned the line the morning of the race, I felt more like I was a lucky attendee at the Academy Awards than a participating in a running race. I'm not sure if it was the extraordinary awesomeness of being able to compete against all of those inspiring runners or my own insecurities of making a complete fool of myself, but I ended up having one of the best races of my life. The weird thing for me, unfortunately, 
is that no matter the amount of success I have had in running, the feeling of not being worthy enough has never left me. I sometimes wonder if that's the very thing that motivates me to push myself in the first place. Chasing those self-imposed expectations of proving myself to everyone. The feeling of self-worth goes hand-in-hand with being self-confident and has been something I have struggled with for many years. What can make those feelings of doubt and insecurity go away? I used to think becoming a sponsored athlete or having thousands of social media followers was the answer, but both seem to be not as fulfilling as I had previously anticipated. I'm not entirely sure what would help remove those unhealthy thoughts, but with every passing year, I find myself wanting to focus on the things I'm good at and enjoy rather than striving to create some kind of image of myself for everyone else to portray. One good thing that has come out of having most of the 2020 race season either canceled or postponed is that it's given me a chance to address these issues and rediscover my why in running. Having the support of my family and coach has given me perspective on what's important. To perceive things for what they are instead of wishing for things that are 100% out of my control. The feeling of being an imposter may haunt me for as long as I continue to pursue running, but I refuse to let it stop me from dreaming big and pushing my own personal limitations. Isn't that the whole reason we got into this silly sport of ultra running in the first place? I'm Julia Becker Collins, and welcome to the Training for Ultra podcast. If we could just free ourselves of our perceived limitations and tap into our internal fire, the possibilities are endless. I'll tell you about it when it happened in the race, but to be honest with you, it happened even before the race. It happened in the training. Great cause. Oh, thank you. I respect that, man. So you keep doing what you do, it, man. Keep inspiring. Jam Jam, Jamil Curry here from Air Viper Running, and welcome to the Training for Ultra podcast. For all you kids out there, stay safe and stay strong. Hey, everyone. It's the Training for Ultra podcast. Scott Jurek here. I was physically totally wrecked. I, I had nothing left. I figured I might as well move as quickly as possible towards the finish line if I was going to be moving towards it anyways. How do you even do that? Decided if I could, you know, finish a 50 miler, I could probably run across the country. Right now I'd say that my beers per day is still higher than my miles <laughs> per day that I'm running. 100 miles is not that far. Hey, this is Carl Meltzer, the Speed Goat, and I want to welcome everybody to the Training for Ultra podcast. Welcome to episode 143 of the Training for Ultra podcast. My name's Rob. I also go by Training for Ultra, and we have a seriously inspiring episode for you today. We speak with Julia Becker-Collins. And I just can't wait to share her background and what she's accomplished and what she struggles with on a daily basis. It gives us all a lot of perspective. And man, seeing her Instagram post from a while back was, it was the reason I reached out to her. I just felt that just shift in my own perspective, having read what she wrote. So I can't wait to share her story just a part of her story with you guys today and big thank you again to jake jackson for writing that article if you want to read it it's on training for adventures website and then yeah that audio part was awesome so big thanks to him big shout out 
big thank you to Hammer Nutrition. If you haven't tried them out, feel free to use my referral code, promo code 252888 to save 15% off your first order. I just tried out some Exoskin socks. They sent me some fresh ones. Oh my gosh. Uh, Definitely check out Exoskin. Check out the show notes for a discount code. And I just, I forgot what a fresh pair of Exoskins feels like. I mean, I've had some since Moab 240 of 2018 that I still wear, but nothing like getting a fresh pair. Uh, So big thanks to Croy for sending those out. But they got a bunch of different color options now. And I got some... It's weird to get excited about white socks because I haven't worn white running socks, I think, basically ever. But check them out. They have just high-quality all-around gear. Big thank you to Kogala. I've gotten a lot of requests on what light do I recommend during just big efforts, 24 hours, 48 hours, multi-day type efforts. And Kogala is what I personally favor I mean, it's kind of earth shattering when you put a Kogala light on a waist belt and you can move your head around during the nighttime, but the settings of that light can get so bright that it's kind of game changing. It it changes your mental attitude at night a lot of times and really helps you see on technical terrain. Can't recommend them enough. I'm thankful they're a sponsor for sure, but I would, it's hard to not use a Kogala light after you use that one honestly. Big thank you to Destination Trail. They got a ton of races, virtual races. Um, Listeners should definitely check out if you get a chance. Got those trademark belt buckles at stake. I think they have one of the longest virtual races available. So I know there's been a lot of races canceled this year, but Destination Trail is continuing to put on some really cool virtual races. So check them out. Last but not least, Patreon supporters, Giant Thank you to Brian Sands. He is now um, one of the, the major sponsors within Patreon. Just huge, huge supporter. Richard Murray, too. Both of those guys are just crushing it. I really, really appreciate them. And then still within this big shout-out list, David, Brian, Meg, Landon, Pat, Joseph, Ray, Todd, and... Matthew, you guys are in the shout out tier. I really, really appreciate you guys. And hopefully we can have you all on again. Maybe have another Patreon kind of group chat here coming up soon. But regardless, if you're donating a hundred dollars a month or a dollar a month, I mean, it's all going towards inspiring content for you guys. So I really, really appreciate you making this all possible and all work. And today we're joined by Julia Becker Collins. And the reason I reached out and really wanted to talk to her was sort of like an emotional Instagram post on being so thankful to have run her very first, I think it was three miles, correct me, Julia, if I'm wrong, but first three miles since, I want to say, your cancer treatment, is that correct? Um, It was my fastest. 3.4 3.4 miles since surgery. Yeah. It's amazing. I, I'm excited to hear more about your story. We're joined by Alyssa Clark, also to co-host, and just excited to, to have this conversation with you guys. 
Awesome. I'm super excited. So it sounds like Julia, where, well, first of all, where are you from? Where are you, where are you located right now? Sure. So I live in Marlborough, Massachusetts, which is a suburb um, outside of Boston. It's in the Metro West area, uh, maybe 45 minutes west of Boston. But I'm not originally from here. I'm originally from outside of Manhattan in New Jersey. But I got here by way of Northern California. And no, I'm not an army brat. I just moved around a lot. (laughs) (laughs) I get that same question. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. That's funny. And so have you always been a runner? Tell me about like growing up. Like, are you from a a family of athletes? No, (laughs) I get asked a lot if I've always been athletic or have, you know, were you on track and field as a kid? Um, I got kicked off of track and field as a kid because I was so bad. Um, <laughs> I really am the person that up until my early 30s um, wore yoga pants to drink wine. Like I would make a joke about it. I have n- was never athletic until in any way, shape or form whatsoever until about five years ago, maybe five and a half years ago. Um, my family is not athletic Um, I have one cousin that got really into spin, um, but that is it. Um, and and then I have another cousin that runs, you know, some short distance miles. Um, but no, I don't have an athletic family whatsoever. So how did you then, how did you then go from drinking wine and yoga pants, which don't get me wrong, (laughs) that sounds great. I'm all about that. Getting into running ultras and running, um, OCR as well. Yeah. So, um, I got into running about five, five and a half years ago after, so six years ago, I had, um, a medical scare that ended me up in the ICU, um, in the hospital in Boston, because apparently I have terrible medical karma. Um, I had major emergency surgery and I almost died and I was out of work for mm, two and a half to three months. And I just had a lot of time on my hands. And I just, I didn't realize how sick I had been for so long until I started to feel better. Um, and I really, you feel very out of control in those kinds of situations. You feel like your body has betrayed you. And I wanted to gain some kind of control. And also just, I had a very stressful job and I wanted to see if any kind of exercise could could help with stress relief. Um, My husband um, has always been somewhat athletic. He uh, did Taekwondo when he was a uh, a kid and in high school. Um, And then he got Oh, don't yeah. mess! Don't mess with Julia's husband. She, I know, I know. Judy, I know. judo chop. <laughs> I know, I know. Uh, and then he got into running in college, and nice. not in any competitive way, just to you know, burn off some stress and clear your head and whatever. Um, and so, maybe six years ago, he took it up again, and just you know, to be like, hey, maybe we'll run some neighborhood five k stuff. And so I was like, well, if he can just walk out the front door of our little neighborhood, we're in, you know, suburbia out here, then I could go walk out the front door. It just seemed like a low barrier to entry of a way to try to get athletic. How'd, so how'd I that did, first one go? 
Oh, terrible. Uh, really terrible. You have never felt so out of shape until you try to run a quarter of a mile, having no athletic experience. Like questioning everything. You, questioning all your bad life choices, feeling like an elephant is sitting on your chest. Really. And I think I started running in the winter in New England. Oh, I'm from New England. I, oh, you're brave. Yeah, yeah it's bad. It's really bad. But one of the things about me is that I'm incredibly determined, very type A. Once I set my mind to something, that's it. And I really think it maybe took me a full year to do a couch to 5K because of setbacks and, you know, injuries. And because if you've never worked out to put your body through that, it just, you know, I even think about it and before, you know, not to um, put it, it, the medical stuff out there too soon, but before I got diagnosed with cancer, I just took running three miles for granted at this point. But, you know, why'd it's you, hard to run why, 5K. Why'd you keep going back? <laughs> why didn't you just give up or try something different? Taekwondo, I mean, you'll get your heart, <laughs> you'll get your heart rate up. <laughs> like, Right. Why well, why did you continue and not pick up biking or anything else? I think it's easier. Right. I know, right? I think the thing there was a couple things. One is that I I didn't have to rely on anybody else, right? It could just be me. And it's just me against me. I don't need anybody else. I'm not on anybody else's schedule. At the time I was commuting into Boston, which anybody who lives in the area knows it's probably similar to like LA traffic. It's, it could take you two hours to drive, what should take you 45 minutes to drive. And so I could wake up at any time and go run. I wasn't married to somebody else's schedule. I could just do it when I needed to do it. And also, probably the biggest reason is I had decided to do it. So I wasn't going to stop doing it, which I understand can be a foreign concept for some people. But that was it. I made the decision. So that was it. Um, so I think it took almost a year until I ran a 5K. But... I that's that's what I did that's how I got into it so yeah and I wasn't it wasn't like I went from running a quarter mile to a mile to a 5k and then I was like I have the bug I'm gonna go run ultras no that is absolutely not my journey um I went from you know very slow 15 minute mile stuff to eventually running a 5k and then that was it. I was going to run some 5Ks and 10Ks with friends. I actually kind of stopped regular running and got more into strength training and boot camps and bar, kind of more structured classes because I found classes near my office. But I found that I could still run the 5Ks and 10Ks because I had the aerobic endurance. I had built it up. And so that was fine. And I was always very slow. And I know slow is subjective, but I mean like definitely bottom quarter of a race and you know very proudly waving the 13 minute per mile flag and i was okay with that i was totally fine because i was lapping everyone on the couch and i didn't care talking to someone who came in second to last place in their local half marathon so exactly Exactly. i mean i can relate trust me (laughs) (laughs) and then i um i got really into uh, obstacle racing a couple of years ago. Um, I did a Spartan Fenway race, which I call their uh, gateway drug. I'm putting air quotes around <laughs> it. Gateway drug of obstacle racing because it's, you know, the shortest distance, the least difficult 
obstacles. There's no mud. There's no fire. There's no barbed wire, right? No but fire photos? Was, <sighs> not for that one. <laughs> that always turned me off, the, the fire part. I never really wanted to do that. <laughs> See, I don't mind the fire. The fire is fine. Like... Mm-hmm. I think by the end, you're do you have to pay like, for the whatever. fire photos? No, are they all free? photos are included. All photos. Wow. Yeah, I know. That's why when I do regular races, I'm like, why am I paying? Where's the fire? Photos? I'm really confused. Also, can I climb something? Is there something? <laughs> Is there a rope for me to climb? <laughs> so I got really into obstacle racing and I loved it. But I wasn't really running. I was more walking the races. But you still have to have a certain level of fitness for that, obviously. Yeah. Um, and then I uh, I coerced my husband into doing a really difficult Spartan race, the Killington Beast, which is at Killington Mountain in Vermont, um, and which is a really difficult race. It's a really difficult mountain. It's a ton of elevation. I spent the whole summer... Um, hiking in order to train for it. I would just do laps and laps and laps of elevation training to try to build up the strength and my glutes and my quads and hamstrings and everything. I just spent the whole summer training for it. It's a, like a 16 mile race, something like that um, with like 30 obstacles and just thousands and thousands and thousands of feet of elevation. It's like a sheer, you can't run it, right? It's like straight up, straight down. And there's something called a death march in the middle. Right. So it's going up like a double black diamond, Oof. something like that. Somebody's on the trail yell- yelling that I'm wrong about this, but like that's basically what it is. Um, and he was like, okay, well, if we're going to do that, then next year we have to do an ultra because in the obstacle racing community, there's also ultra running, there's ultra races. And I was like, you know, me being me, being the most determined person, I was like, okay, that's fine. And I didn't really know what I was getting myself into or really think about it. I just sounded like the next thing to do. And I only knew one person that had ever done or attempted an ultra. And she was a coach at the gym I was going to. And she was just a regular, unassuming person. Seemed just like a, you know, not particularly like muscly, not particularly anything. She just was a regular person. So I decided that if I was going to do this, I was going to be, you know, make her my friend and uh, I was going to learn all her secrets. <laughs> <laughs> and so I did that. But then my husband actually uh, decided he didn't want to run the ultra. <laughs> what? He, he did the Killington race and said it was not fun. And so he didn't want to do the ultra anymore. <laughs> so I said I would do it anyway. Uh, what race did you sign up for? It's the, um, New Jersey tri-state Spartan ultra from 2019. And, um, it was, I think it ended up being 36 miles, more than 15. I love the ones that go long. (laughs) <laughs> right. It's, like, it's 50K. It's 50K. No, it's not. Right. No, it's, it's a not 50K. A f- no, it's not a 50K. Never. Fit. And it has, it had more than 15,000 feet of elevation. That's a lot. Wow. It was, it, yeah, it's at a mountain range, like a ski uh, resort that's at the, like the top, top, top of New Jersey. We're like exactly the top of New Jersey where um, New Jersey 
Pennsylvania and New York meet. So it's that's why it's called tri-state because I think technically you move between the states. Cool. Um, yeah, and then it had seventy obstacles. So <laughs> <laughs> it's not right, right? Because why wouldn't I just sign up for a regular ultra? No, I have to make it extra difficult. Um, so. I don't remember. And that year, it was really, last year, it was really cold. It was like driving winds. And I think the high that day was 33. And this is in April, mid-April. And <laughs> so, miserable. It's really, and there were water obstacles <laughs> and like all this stuff. So the ultra runners, because there's multiple like distances on that course, just like other ultras. And the ultra runners go out first and so we go out first we get to the water obstacles fine whatever and what i didn't realize i thought the pack was thinning because i was so slow which is also true to be clear i'm very slow um but the pack was also thinning because people were getting pulled for hypothermia so people are just getting pulled by medical for hypothermia left and right and i don't know i don't remember the statistics but it was something like 400 or something women started the race it's a very male dominated sport, especially, especially obstacle racing ultras, um, because it's so upper body, um, heavy. Um, and it's just intimidating, I think for women, um, and only 89 women finished. And I was second to DFL. Nice. I so. was like, <laughs> I don't I think had, it counts when yes. 75% no. of the, the, the field dropped. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, that's like, <laughs> that's I a top 90. 25 percentile yeah. <laughs> right absolutely right. I, mean, I had like no joke 90 seconds to spare like i wow. was running i come out of the woods i'm like delirious you have to understand it's been more than 14 hours it's pitch black my watch has died my running partner was 20 minutes ahead of me which is fine and i have been <laughs> alone for hours hours <laughs> wandering through the woods hoping that i don't fall or get lost and i come out to a clearing i'm going down this hill that's all mud and i come out to a clearing and i hear my husband screaming for me and he goes julia you have five minutes <laughs> five minutes to get to the finish line you have to go down like a sheer face of mud do you have a headlamp go, by the way or? oh yes yeah okay yeah you have a headlamp but that's it Right. Like, and you're just caked in mud and you've been out. I've been out there for 14 something hours. My legs don't work. And I'm like, well, I guess I still have something in the get like in the tank. Cause I can sprint. Apparently I sprinted down the hill. My husband's like next to me trying to get me to take off my pack, but I'm so delirious. I couldn't understand what he was talking about. <laughs> I didn't know where I was going. The crowd thought the race had finished. So they're standing in the middle of the whole thing. I don't know where to go. I'm asking people. I have to go around this whole like under bridge thing. And then I get to the fire that Alyssa was asking about. And I have to jump over the fire and the whole race. The thing that had worried me was that I was going to cramp jumping over the fire. Oh. That would worry me too. Because that happens, right? Like you've been <laughs> out there, your legs don't work. And I guess I got to it. And I remember just being like, F it. I'm just, I don't care at this point. I could dive first into the embers. Like I got to get through this. 
So, because <laughs> I see the clock over the thing, and you got to get got to get past the fire, and you got to get over the timing mat. And I just jumped, and it is the best picture I have ever had from a race finish. It's like me engulfed in flames, like high jumping this like whole thing, and then I ran, and it's like you had to run uphill, like up this hill go over the timing mat and I collapsed and cried and I am not a crier and some person I don't know and I've never seen again like caught me and held me till my husband got there and I was like that's it that's all I had that's all the energy I had somebody has to carry me well we got to get a hold of that photo to share with the listeners I'll give it to you oh my gosh that that's, so that's epic yeah I know I know so I went from the longest distance I had run was a 10K to I need to do a marathon training plan to and do strength training to be able to run this race. To be and a Spartan right. champion almost. Top, top 25%. <laughs> I mean, I like that you that's put awesome. that uh, little twist on it because I always say I was second to DFL. Because no. I was like, I should have gotten a DFL award. That, that would have been great. I've done stupid hard ultras where half the field drops. And then I look yep. on ultra sign up and it's like, oh, you're 53rd whatever right. percent. And I'm like, no, no, that is not what happened out there. Like, <laughs> well, if you <laughs> That was not a 53% hurt. effort. It's the same with hurt of like 30 people finish. And so right. the the percentage rate just gets all off. So I think right. if you finish um, and three quarters of the field don't don't finish, that's that's pretty amazing. That was sort of my feelings. And then I was like, all right, I, I feel great about this. I never need to see this mountain ever again. I never need to come back here. I'm never doing this this like ultra again, the New Jersey one. I was what like, was, I'm good. What was the I'm conversation like with your husband? Was he excited, uh, worried? How, how he, which leading up to you it guys argue at the finish line? No, <laughs> no, no. He was more like Are I you? Think he like grasped me from the woman who was holding me, and then he was like, "Okay, what do we have to do now?" And I was like, "Well, we have to get my medal because you can't just—they don't just hand you the buckle at the finish line. They have to take your chi- timing chip and make sure you went over all the math. So they have to like scan the timing chip to make sure you didn't like skip the course. They have to audit so, you, like oh. oh, basically. And then it's not only that you like went over all the timing mats, like you hit, you got ahead of all the cutoffs. So they're like not playing around at these races. Wow. And so hmm. you like, you know. So I was like, okay, I have to do this. And I just remember standing there in line for my buckle. And the Spartan, I don't know if it was a volunteer or a staff person, he, you know, took my timing chip and was going through the whole thing with the laptop. And he was like, well, what's your name? And I go, I don't know. And he's like, well, what's, what's your, um, your bib number? Because they don't do, like, racing bibs. They do a headband with your number on it. And I just remember that I had been able to keep my headband on the whole race, which is a miracle. Um, I was like, well, isn't my headband on? And he's like, yeah. I'm like, well, then just pull it by the number. He's like, well, what's your T-shirt size? Because they give you your T-shirt at the end because you can't have an ultra T-shirt if you didn't finish the ultra. And so he, I, was, I looked at him and I go, I don't know. 
just give me one. I was like, I, ha- I couldn't, there was no complex thought. There was no simple thought. I was like, you just have to hand me things. And then my husband needs to shove some food into my mouth. Like I can't, there's no thought process. The, right s- now. the story behind the, like the triple XL. Right. That they right. couldn't, Basically. couldn't give away. <laughs> um, yeah. How do you, how do you follow this up? So like, are you excited the following day? on ultra sign up like most of us are you like wrapped in a cocoon on your bed at home trying to recover like what's what's going on like following week so i didn't yeah so i had never even heard of ultra sign up i think because i'm in this like originally in this like ocr community i was like definitely embedded in the like well what do i want to do next in like obstacle racing you know, et cetera, et cetera. And my friend, um, so I had done the race with my friend, Melissa, um, who had finished 20 minutes ahead of me, which is great. Um, and then I have this friend, Sherry, who had been doing, uh, ultras, obstacle racing ultras for a very long time. And she had given me a great amount of advice. And then I had this friend, Beth, the one that I told you that I had like befriended. Um, and Sherry and Beth had both said to me, like, as soon as this race is over, you're going to like be on a high. And then the next day you're going to be on a low cause you're going to need a new thing. Cause you just spent how many months trying to push towards this. And I didn't believe them cause I was like, that's not possible. Like that's not a thing. And then literally like two days after the race, I was like, Oh, what do I do now? I don't know what to do. Like, what do I do with all this time in my life? Um, so I decided to sign up for, um, Spartan Dallas Ultra, which was in October last year, in a very different venue. It's um, out in like basically the desert of uh, Dallas. Well, not even Dallas. It's like two hours outside of Dallas. It's on a ranch, so it's just different environmental challenges than being in the forest. And um, how far of a race? So that's a 50K as well. That was actually much more of like a real 50K. It was, I think it came in at like 32 and something miles. Um, And it really only had, I want to say like 6,000 feet of elevation, 8,000 feet of elevation, which is, I mean, that's significant. It's just not 15,000 feet. I love that comment. Yeah, I know. I'm aware. (laughs) So, (laughs) um, but it's also the big thing with that race is the temperature changes because you go out at like 6 a.m. and the sun's down and it's 30 degrees. It's below freezing. And then between then and like at 2 p.m. when it's the hottest, it's like 80 degrees. And so if you can't acclimate to the temperature changes, over the course of the day, you're going to have a lot of problems. It sounds so, sounds like you're well prepared for these races, honestly. Like yeah, with I, thinking through gear selection and all that stuff. I felt pretty good. Um, the Dallas race, I had done a lot of mountain running um, just already because of New Jersey and also to prepare for other races I had over the course of the year. Because I did other races leading up to it, just shorter um, mountain races. And I found that the mountain running really you know, helped with the less mountainous running. Um, yeah. I, I got better with some of the obstacles, et cetera, et cetera. And um, at Dallas, my racing partner and I, Melissa, um, we each came in third in our, uh, our weight, like our waves age group, which what? we looked at each other and we were like, because when we were getting audited with our time chips, <laughs> they told us and we looked at each other and we were like, 
no, that's not possible. So I went from second to DFL or, you know, top quarter, as he said, to third in my open age group. I mean, so more improvement. More importantly, how did the fire jump go? Did you, (laughs) did you have a hesitation? No, it was not as epic. She's nailed it. I know. Did you? I have been. Yeah. I mean, I nailed it, but it was not, the, the photo wasn't as good. Um, you know, it's all about that fire jump photo. Come on. I mean, <laughs> Is it even worth doing if you don't get the exactly. fire jump photo? Really it's like Strava. Exactly. So <laughs> you finished that. I mean, are, are are you beginning to feel like, okay, I got this down. I just took third in my age group. Yeah. Like that, that went pretty well. I want to push to a different distance or, or how did that race yeah. follow up go? Yeah, I kind of went into that race thinking that, well, on one hand, I felt vastly underprepared. Don't ask me why. I just felt like I was underprepared. I just, I don't know. And then I had decided that if that race, if I came out of that race feeling like I hadn't died, you know what I mean? Like I felt like I could go further. Then I decided that I was going to sign up for a 50 miler. Um, And so I, um, because I don't want to jump I had never wanted to jump from 50K to 100 miler because I can only run three days a week. I can't run more than that because of, you know, skeletal issues, health issues. You know, I say BC before cancer, you know, long term Mm -hmm. problems. So my body just can't do it. And I don't want to increase mileage too quickly. It's not healthy for me. So I was like, I'll do a 50 miler. And so for 2020, I had, I went on to ultra sign up. And I found, you I'm know, smiling to our, myself right now. Yeah, I right. am too. <laughs> I found Famous our, last words. I found our supreme leader ultra sign up and I, uh, <laughs> signed up for a trail, like a 30 K as a, you know, just something to train with. And then I signed up for, um, anchor down ultra, which I, I don't know. I don't think I signed up for through, um, ultra sign up. My friend had told me about it. Um, but it's a local Rhode Island ultra that I think has been really well ranked in like all the fancy schmancy magazines. You can tell I haven't been racing or running for very long. I don't know the name of any of the things, Um, but it's like Hoka presents it. It, It's a big race. It is. Yeah. But it's very small and they have a, a really tight cap on it. Right. Like only so many people can um, register and it's three different um, distances or time domains and distances. And then there's a wait list and that's it. So there's no qualifier yet, but we in the community are thinking there's going to be a qualifier soon because it is so difficult to register for it. Like you literally there, have to There is on. now. <laughs> Cat's so out of the bag, it. unfortunately. <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> so it's like that. That's how difficult it is to register for, right? Like it's just. So I signed up for that um, and I was like, okay, I'm going to do the 24 hour time domain and it's, you have to hit 49 miles and it's a loop. It's like 2.4 something, four or five miles. And it's relatively flat. I think it's 70% trail, like technical trail. And then like um, 30% like hard pack and it's on the ocean, but it is in the middle of August in new England, which Alyssa 
you probably know it it turns into the caribbean here basically in the summer it's no one so understands hot. how humid it gets up in new england it's like yes it it's freezing cold so in the winter hot. and humid in the summer it's perfect it, everyone wants to live there <laughs> when my best friend from california comes to visit in the summer with her kids and she's puerto rican when she comes with her kids her kids look at me and go no this is puerto rico season we don't need to be here right now like <laughs> it's so hot and humid in the summer here they're it's more unreal. miserable there <laughs> That's funny. It's so bad. It's really bad. So they purposely had anchor, have to anchor down ultra when it is very, very hot. And you can, um, if you sign up for the 24 hour, you can also try to go for a hundred miles and they have like ambulances on standby for those people. <laughs> it's really hard. So there's a six hour, 12 hour, 24 hour. So I signed up for the 24 hour. You're pushing it. With so you, you time. wanted to go for it. You, you were not yeah. satisfied with those fire photos. You wanted more. <laughs> you wanted to push your limits. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. And then I also, because I'm crazy and I'm me, I was like, well, if I'm doing one 50 miler, why not two? I'm rolling my eyes to myself. And so I signed up for um, the Ragnar Vermont uh, trail race, which is normally a team of 12 and you cover 200 miles. But I had the brilliant idea to do an ultra team of four. Nice. And so it's loops and you have any camp for three nights and you, you know, you go out and you run and then you tag the next person in and you go out and run. I actually think it's almost going to, would be harder because you have rest. Oh, yeah. Sounds like a cool solo effort too, actually. You could, and yeah. you can do it by yourself or you could do it on a team of two. You could, there's all the different options and it's beautiful in Vermont where this is. And so we, I put together an all woman team to do that. What part of Vermont is, I'm from Vermont. I'm just curious. Oh, it's, I'd have to look it up. Okay. Mountney. Come on, Julia. You, no, I'm thinking you sorry, can't sign up for a race and not do a deep dive on the history of the local. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, she I'm described Hillington so well. <laughs> I'm the one that texts my girlfriends that run ultras and I say, let's do an all women's team for this really difficult race, even though none of us have run 50 miles before. Sounds good, right? <laughs> yeah. You mean. So. Honestly, we <laughs> hold each other like accountable and training and yes. might be surprised. I, I really like the idea, honestly. Well, right. So that's what we had planned on and we had registered for. Obviously, everything this year got canceled, but um, that was the plan. And those were, I think they were like, like four weeks apart, three weeks apart. And we all figured and three of us were doing both races. One person was not. And so we were all just like, it's fine. We'll just do it. You know, we're going to do it we're just gonna do it it gives us enough time to recover it's fine we just didn't even think about it so that was the plan for this year and then i figured i would do that and then next year 2021 i was gonna do a 100 mile so and that's for my 100 yeah i just like a solid flat something yeah 100 miler yeah just 50,000 feet of elevation yeah i thought i'd go to colorado no um, <laughs> I was going to sign up for Hard Rock. Um, <laughs> yeah, I just throw my name in. Absolutely. Um, Bad water. <laughs> <laughs> so everyone's plans for 2020 have been totally messed up. You know, nothing has gone according to plan. 
this year and apparently everything keeps getting worse mostly um yeah but i feel like i have nothing to complain complain about compared to how your plans unfolded tell us <laughs> i mean honestly i i know you're laughing but i feel for you like how did your how did 2020 unfold for you oh i really this year is just the year the gift that keeps on giving and there's a lot of sarcasm in there so um Let's see. So January and February were actually really great for me. I um, professionally am the chief operating officer of a marketing agency, and I was killing it professionally. It was great. Um, and then you get into the beginning of March, and actually it was going, again, still incredibly well. I was training. Fantastic. And then um, halfway through March, I believe it was March 12th, uh, excuse me, going backwards for a second. So March 7th, I had just a regular, um, you know, annual appointment with my primary care for a physical, like everyone should have. And I definitely considered canceling mine because I was so busy at work. Um, and I went and I have a great primary care physician and I was, you know, shooting the breeze with her and she, you know, was going to run some blood work. And then she just did a regular physical exam where they feel your throat. And she looked at me and she goes, that doesn't feel good. And I'm like, okay, you never want your doctor saying that ever. And I look at her and I was like, what do you mean? That doesn't feel good. And she's like, I need you to swallow. And she's holding my throat, like where your Adam's apple is, if you're a guy or where it would be if you're a woman. And I swallow and she looks at me dead in the eye and goes, you have a mass on your thyroid. I'm like, okay, I don't even know what a thyroid does. Literally no idea what a thyroid does. So she says, okay, I need to send you for an ultrasound. It could 100% be benign. Lots of people have benign masses, which is true, to be fair. I don't want to scare anybody. Um, just like women get, you know, benign cysts in their breasts, right? Um, and so she sent me for an ultrasound. It was scheduled for the next week. Great. Um so I kind of didn't think a lot about it. I think I freaked out for maybe 30 seconds. And then I was like, I'm sure this is fine because I feel fine. And in the meantime, she ran blood work and all my blood work came back perfect. Like bill mm -hmm. of health perfect. Um, and so the next week on the Thursday, I was out running just a regular six mile training run. And I fell three and a half miles <laughs> into the training run. And I uh, ended up with a compound fracture of my left elbow with an open gaping wound. Like, think horror movie blood spurting everywhere. Which, oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And my friend is the lieutenant in the uh, fire station down the street. And he saw it happen. He was just driving past. Like, freak thing, right? And he saw it happen. And because I'm an endurance athlete and I have trained myself to be like, everything's fine. The thing you think that hurts doesn't hurt. I was like, oh, I'm fine. I'm going to keep running because I didn't realize my elbow was broken because you have the adrenaline and the whatever. And I didn't see the blood because I had so many layers on because it was so cold. And so I realized I had like skimmed, you know, skinned my knee. But I was like, yeah, I'm fine. And he like oh. gets the lights on, pulls into the parking lot. And he's like, no, you're going home. I understand that you are arguing with me about this, but, but you're going home. I, I can see the and bone. I, I can see the bone. Right. You're well, going it's home. not even like you could see the bone. He couldn't because my running jacket didn't rip. Oh. And so it was all underneath and we had no idea. He just 
was like, your knee is bleeding. You're done. I saw you fall. This is it. I understand. You can finish your mileage tomorrow. Like, and nice. I've known him for years. That's refreshing. So That's a ref- refreshing opinion that some of us need more often, honestly. Well, right. And I was, you know, cause we all try to push through, like, are you hurt or are you in pain? Like, you know, I just have taught myself, you know, you just keep going. That doesn't actually hurt. It's just like a small, you know, side stitch. You'll be fine in a mile. It's not that big of a deal. So I get home, I'm changing out of the ripped pants and I go, you know, take my running jacket off and I realize there's, you know, the spurting blood, whatever. I ask him to come back. He takes me to the ER. I'm like, I probably need a stitch. I don't think it's that big of a deal. Turns out there's an open wound from the surface of my elbow down to the bone, which has chipped off a piece of bone. So that was my elbow, which now six months later is still not fully healed. I just saw my third specialist yesterday. Was like floating (laughs) chip or something or what? So the chip reattached in the wrong spot and it reattached where the tricep connector is. Yeah. (laughs) I'm just, I have nothing to complain about the, like as bad as 2020 is like, I know (laughs) it's, but it's also like in this grand scheme of my year, this is like just icing on the cake. So then of course it would. Right. That's what would happen. But also like, you got to take it in stride. Like, what am I going to do? Like, just go to a new specialist and make decisions. I can't make it heal quicker than what I'm doing. I'm going to the PT and the acupuncture and I'm icing it and blah, blah, blah. So the next day, you know, with, (laughs) with my arm all bandaged up and the broken and the whole thing, I'm back at the same hospital to go for the ultrasound on my thyroid. I I remember making a joke to the, uh, uh, the ultrasound tech, but like I was just here 10 hours ago. Um, and we were joking around and then she got real quiet and they can't say anything to you, you know, about what they see. And I'm like, Oh, this is not good. So that was, and I know it was Friday because my doctor, my primary care called me at 6 PM that day. And anytime a doctor calls you after 5 PM, especially on a Friday, it is bad news. So she calls me and this is like before the state shut down, before we went into the, you know, the current times we're in. So I called, you know, in the before times she called me and I I remember I was at a bar and uh, she said that the results of the ultrasound were concerning. She wanted to send me for a biopsy, which is where they said, you know, stick this huge needle into your neck and um, that her office would be in touch the next week. And nobody ever called me because the whole state shut down over the weekend and uh, her, the hospital system that my primary care doctor is in was so hard hit by COVID in the following weeks that they shut down to everything else. And so they couldn't even schedule the appointment. Forget about see me. They couldn't even schedule the appointment for my biopsy. And so I, that's what put me over the edge. I just remember sitting in my home office, you know, during all this, you have to keep in mind, I'm running a company through a crisis where half of our income comes in through restaurants and restaurants are shut down now. Whoa. So, you know, the whole financial future of a company weighs on my shoulders while I'm trying to figure out if I have cancer. And, um, I just called my cousin who's an oncologist in Colorado. And I said, what do I do? 
I've, I've hit the edge of my knowledge, right? And I'm not going to Google because Google's going to tell me I have cancer. There are a lot of jokes I can tell you that I've used since then about Googling your symptoms. Um, and so I had a, had lots of conversations with my cousin in Colorado who I cannot thank him enough for all the help he's provided, but he walked me through the ins and outs of hospital structures and transferring my records and figuring out what kind of doctor I needed to see and finding a new doctor and getting the biopsy schedule and asking the right questions and et cetera. So I found an endocrinologist in a totally different hospital system, got all my records transferred over, scheduled a telehealth visit, which I had never done before. And she looked everything over and I remember her distinctly saying to me, same thing that my oncologist cousin said to me after he looked at all the records that I had a 98% chance that it was benign and that it was probably just really annoying and I could live with it for a while. And I was like, okay, that's great. Let's just do this. So we know. So I had a biopsy the next week and she called me after 5 PM. Again, these, these are the indicators. Um, and she said, you know, unfortunately I was wrong and it's malignant and it's a three centimeter tumor on the left side of your thyroid. And it's not only that, it's actually spread to the right side. So I said, okay, what's the plan? You know, she asked if I needed some time to digest it or cry. And I was like, nope, I do better with information. Hyper type A, you got to tell me what's happening. So the plan is, you're, you know, the you're treatment- such an ultra runner. It's not even funny. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm like, I need the plan. Just tell tell me me how many miles to that next aid station. (laughs) Right. I need to know what's happening. (laughs) I don't do well with no plan. (laughs) So the treatment protocol for thyroid cancer is removal of the thyroid. And I can tell you that until like May of this year, I don't even know what a thyroid did. I had no idea. And I had no symptoms other than the tumor. And I had no blood work showing any problems and I was the picture of health and I was I had cancer and I had had it for a bit and I didn't know so because thyroid cancer is a slow growing cancer so a three centimeter tumor is not just showing up one day so um and there's no history of it in my family so uh I, she referred me over to a really amazing surgeon at Mass General Hospital, you know, in the Boston area. We are really privileged to have fantastic hospitals and fantastic healthcare. Yes. And um, I just, yeah, I cannot imagine living somewhere else at this point. Um, and so I had a lot of telehealth visits <laughs> with my surgeon. And he was like, yep, we're going to take the thyroid out. And this is what you can expect. And you're going to have to be on you know, synthetic hormones for the rest of your life. And, you know, it'll take a couple hours and, and it's fine. And, you know, this is what he does. He's a thyroid surgeon. He's not even a general surgeon. Um, but the problem was that Massachusetts wasn't even open for surgeries. They were only treating COVID and like emergency room, you're bleeding from your eyeballs kind of situations. So that's it. And so now it's bleeding, bleeding from your elbow. Right, right, sorry, exactly. Sorry. <laughs> Compound <laughs> fracture gets dealt with. Cancer does oh not Oh my gosh! I know. Well, because state by state, sucks. everybody had to make decisions. So, yeah. uh, then my husband and I were trying to figure out: Well, do we risk getting on a plane and going to Colorado, 
where my cousin can set me up with the best doctors and surgeons and whatever. But then you're on a plane during COVID and I have cancer. And also I have asthma and an autoimmune disorder. So I am like very high risk. Yeah, not a great situation. No, not a good situation. Or do we, you know, a couple weeks later, New Hampshire opened up. I was like, okay, well, we could drive there. That's easy. But then you got to find a new doctor and you got to this and whatever. So it's like, you know, stuck between a rock and a hard place. So then uh, Massachusetts opened up and, um, well, they told us, the governor said that Massachusetts was opening up for surgery. And the day that the governor announced it, my surgeon called me and said, would you like the first day, first slot for surgery? And I was like, absolutely. I want it. I don't care what day. I don't care what time. I don't care what location of MGH. I want it. And I looked at my husband and I was like, uh, this is the moment in which you can thank me for being the squeaky wheel because the squeaky wheel gets oil. <laughs> I would have been like second. I want that surgeon to like warm up on someone first. But <laughs> it's a little rusty. <laughs> and so I had surgery. I had my entire thyroid removed in the middle of May of this year. Um, and when I was having surgery, they found that it had actually spread further than just the thyroid. So they found that it had spread into some of the lymph nodes around the thyroids. So they removed those lymph nodes. Um, and then <laughs> after, you know, surgery is a couple hours long and then you wake up in recovery, go home. And I just remember my surgeon texting me a photo of my thyroid. And I was like, I feel like other people are going to be grossed out about this, but I am oddly fascinated. Okay. <laughs> what did you Can respond? Just... Sorry. Were you like, I was pretty... leave my thyroid alone? No. <laughs> no, I was like, I was really drugged up. But also, I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> okay. I will say when they removed my colon, I really wanted to see it. And no right? one let me see it. So Thank I'm you. jealous of Thank you. you. I w- exactly. I'm 100% with, with you. Without prompting, he did it. And I was like, oh, That's this is how I know I found the right surgeon. <laughs> <laughs> so did you, uh, just from my experience with, with surgery, I felt a, so much better once the diseased part of me was gone. Did you feel similarly? Or oh, did you no. just not feel that badly beforehand, I guess? I never felt badly. Yeah. And so I had made yeah. the incorrect assumption that, I, that's what, what's going to happen. Exactly what you just said. Well, I'll feel better. I'll just recovery. I'll recover from surgery. I've recovered from major surgery previously and I will just feel better and I'll take this magical pill every day. And that's the end of that. Yeah. No, the surgeon had actually said to me repeatedly, you have to remember that this is a marathon, not a sprint. And I said to him before surgery, cause I'm a total smart ass. I was like, but is it an ultra marathon? Because if it's just a marathon, I should be fine. (laughs) I don't think he thought that was funny. (laughs) That's crazy. Um, But so I, no, I felt terrible. Um, Just recovering from surgery was really difficult because they're literally slicing your whole throat open. Um, And then removing a major organ and then having your whole body adjust to not having a thyroid. Your thyroid regulates everything your metabolism your energy stores your uh whole body clock how you sleep how you eat 
everything. And I just went from having a perfectly working one minus the cancer um, to having none. And it just, they had told me it would take about a year to get the, um, the dosage correct to figure mm -hmm. out how much uh, medication I should be on. And it's, you know, they were right. It takes a really long time and I just had to be patient. Um, and then they found out they do, you know, testing on the thyroid and the cancer when they take it out. And they found out that um, it actually was BRAF positive, which is a genetic mutation. So it's more aggressive. Um, and then the fact that it had spread to my lymph nodes, I had to, so that all means that I had to go through radiation. Um, not everybody with thyroid cancer has to do that. Some people just have surgery, not just, but they have surgery. Um, and some people have to go through radiation. You know, every cancer and every individual is treated differently um, based on their complications. So I had to go through radiation. Um, radiation for thyroid cancer is that you swallow a radioactive pill you become radioactive. My husband is still waiting for me to have like Spider-Man like powers on that one <laughs> has not occurred yet. Um, but you know, you're already in isolation because of COVID. And then I was in further isolation because I, you know, had no immune system. And then you literally cannot leave our room for seven days. So because not for my health, but for everybody else's health. So, cause I wow. give somebody thyroid wow. cancer. So I just remember getting up really early one morning and leaving the house before anybody was in the neighborhood and going for like a quarter mile walk or something like that. Because I was like, if I don't leave this house, I'm going to lose it. Like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. I mean, you feel terrible. There's tons of side effects of radiation, but I just couldn't sit anymore. So what did you, what then, did you think about, oh, on, what did you think yeah, about on those walks? Or were you just so um, exhausted from everything? It just kind of went into the the typical like runners like flow of not thinking for a while. I think it's. I mean, there was a lot of frustration, right? So I I tend to I don't get mad at like the things around me. I don't get mad at the doctors. I don't get mad at my husband. I, I just get mad at like myself, like. I was starting to kind of maybe feel something resembling normal before radiation. And then going through radiation really made me feel like I had cancer, like really intensely. And so the walks were very like trying to work through the mental health side of it. Yeah. But also it was also trying to figure out the balance of like, I can't push and like, muscle my way through this healing process and that's really hard for an ultra runner i think because there's part of this where like being active is really good for you you know getting out and walking every day is really healthy for you through cancer treatment but you got to find the boundary and it's really hard to find a boundary when you're used to just pushing through everything like i'm so used to being like well it doesn't matter because if i work harder i'll just get there and you can't do that right now like I can't work harder to cure myself that's not a thing like I can't work harder to make my endocrine system suddenly work it's not it's not gonna work so you know I just had to come to peace with you know this I am literally doing the best job I can and maybe that is like the teeniest percentage of what I used to do but that's it that's what I got 
and you know my full-time job is healing myself and so if I can walk a quarter mile at a 25 minute mile pace then that's what I'm gonna do so I cannot tell you how much I appreciate you sharing that because so many people um first of all take health for advantage but also just it is so easy in our mentality of just push harder, just try harder mm-hmm. and just giving yourself the space to heal. Um, I hope you continue to do that and know that um, really thinking of you and, and really appreciate you, you saying that because um, I think oh. more people need to know it. <laughs> Thanks. I appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, it's hard. It's, it's, <laughs> it's you know, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Um, I tend to be somebody who's very like straightforward and I don't think you're doing anybody any favors by sugarcoating, but you know, cancer is awful and it's life defining. And I just, you know, since then, since going through radiation, I'm still dealing with a lot of health problems because of it. And I will be for a long time. And I still have cancer. You know, I still, they found a new mass in the last round of scans and we're trying to see if that's affected by, you know, the radiation. There's this, really fun and I'm definitely putting air quotes around fun so not fun at all part of cancer treatment that's like the wait and see period of let's see if the treatment did what we needed it to do I'll see you in three months which is just crazy um but you know you gotta you can't get stuck in it you know like you can only you can only do so much but also you can take control of your own life so it's a balance yeah and what is I guess to tie it back to running, how has that changed your perspective on running? And I know personally, I was was so grateful for every moment afterwards. So I'd love to hear how that experience has been for you. Oh, 100%. Like you have really hit the nail on the head. I used to hate my three mile training runs because it felt like a waste of time. And I was just like, ugh. Peasant three mile run. (laughs) (laughs) Take me longer to get dressed and undressed. I'm gonna have to fuel (laughs) some BS around my neighborhood. (laughs) I'd rather drive some. No, really, like I'd get up in my own head about it just to run a neighborhood 5K at like a 12 minute pace because that's a conversational pace, and it's just like, oh, I'm just gonna get sweaty for this. Um, but now, I mean. Yesterday is the first time I ran a mile without stopping since my surgery in May. And I cannot tell you the joy that that brought me. Like, one mile. Like, I can't. And I've been running three times a week. And I'm there are some real air quotes around running here. Like, I mean, intervals. Like, run for a quarter mile, walk for a quarter mile, run for a quarter mile. Right. Right. You power hiked for a quarter of a mile, and you ran you. for a quarter of a mile. Thank you. <laughs> Not even yeah. going there this episode. Honestly, this is amazing. <laughs> uh, so yesterday, it was definitely a little overcast here. It was really muggy, really muggy, like full like Caribbean situation. And it was like in the 80s, but it was overcast, so it wasn't as bad. And I went for a run. I did like a one-mile power hike, <laughs> and then I started to run and I just kept going and I hit 1.3 miles and I knew I was watching my watch and I and I and that's where I kind of like my system kind of gave out and I was like oh my god and again I am not a crier like whatsoever 
And I was like, I, I am going to ball like in the middle of a, a like suburban planned complex. Like I'm going to ball. <laughs> this is the most exciting mile I've ever run in my whole entire life. More exciting than the first mile I ever ran. More exciting than any mile I have ever run in my whole entire life. Nothing will ever beat this mile. This is the mile for me. Like sweaty, disgusting, gross, not coming out your nose. Like the whole thing by myself in August the first mile I ran after surgery and you know and then I power hiked a little and I ran a little and that was it but there is no greater joy there that's it because now that I can run a mile I can run three miles and that's always been my thought process if you can one run you can one you can run three if you can run three you can run five but the appreciation for the short distance is just for the everyday i mean it's so cliche right i might as well be a greeting card saying no. like no right but yeah, that's you know, honestly, a way to describe it. everything yeah julia that's you why we're give... talking to you because... oh, okay. no it, it is i let's read her post this this post was the reason i was touched and even you know reached out it was empowered by training for ultras post today Ultra running is hard. Summer running is hard. But if this is, if this was easy, everyone would do it. Cancer has stolen so much for me from me. I refuse to let it steal this. And this was your post. I'm assuming this was a three, yeah, three point four mile run. Yep. Um, yeah. her her fastest since surgery. Like your joy of running kind of rekindled something for me personally seeing that post but mm. it's just such a refreshing reminder to be thankful you know like you've been through so much and you're still going through a lot um it was just beautiful seeing the joy that uh you know that 5k brought you thank you yeah it's you know i have always tried to take not take things for granted, but you know, in your everyday life, of course you take things for granted just forever, you know, you, you, as much as you try, but I have, you know, cancer will change your perspective, you know, forever. And the ability, just the physical ability to run one mile, if you can run one mile, you should not take it for granted. Forget running the 50 miles, 30 miles, the 36 crazy miles that I ran. Like, if you can run one mile, you, there, you should take nothing about that for granted. Because a lot of people wish they could, myself included, until yesterday. And I'm sure that I will have upcoming runs where I cannot run that mile. And I wish I could run that mile. It is so hard to go from, you know, running an ultra. Like, in April, I did the Yeti Ultra 24-hour challenge i didn't even train for it i just had been running consistently and i just did it and it was painful but i did it and i i increased the laps and i made it a 50k and i just ran my neighborhood and my knees hurt and my ankles hurt and i was fine in a day and to go from that you know and deadlifting 200 and something pounds and working out every single day and all of it I cannot even run a mile. It will give you appreciation. Like, 
I look outside my kitchen window and I see like the groundhog that lives in the backyard and the skunk that lives in the backyard. And you know, we have a whole little menagerie going on. And I am grateful for all of that. Oh, like just yeah. to be able to see all of that is, I mean, you can't take it for granted. You can't just be like, oh, I have to run this peasant three mile. Don't do what I did. <laughs> well, can I just say that I am beyond excited to see how and where you go when you come out of this? Because actually, when I first started getting into ultras, I had um, someone say to me that the best ultra runners have something in their past that's their thing. And nothing can be as worse as that thing. And so when you're deep in an ultra and it's painful and it hurts... You remember that nothing could be as worse as that time in your life. And I think that you are going to be amazing in the future because you've come through such difficult times and it's never going to be as hard as that. So thank you. Thanks. Oh, you're welcome. (laughs) Thank you. I mean, I totally agree with that. That's why I actually, um, the crazy ultra I did last year with the 15,000 feet of elevation, I got it tattooed. Um, the elevation profile. I got a tattooed on my arm That's so awesome. that I could look at it and be like, nothing will ever be harder than that. And to be fair, it's helped through cancer treatment because that ultra was painful, was physically painful. And if you know, if you've done a high elevation ultra, you know that like everything starts to like break down. Your knees start to break down, your quads, your glutes, everything, your whole body just starts to break down. And just to like look at this crazy thing on my arm and be like, you did that. You came out the other side, you're fine, you, you know, live to race another day. You can live through radiation burning out your entire GI tract lining. You can live through not having a thyroid. You can live through not knowing if you still have cancer or how long it's going to last because you're alive today. And that's, again, it's cliche, but it's true. It's like, I don't know what the next round of scans is going to show, but I know that I have a run tomorrow. So, you know, you can only control so much, I guess. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. You're you're super (laughs) inspiring, Julia. Oh, thanks. Thanks. Keep keep doing what you're doing. Share it on social. I want to follow along. So where can we (laughs) follow your journey and follow um, your recovery process? Because I'm really... Yeah. I believe so, in it. Uh, <laughs> uh, I spend a lot of time on Instagram. Um, you can find me there. I'm at Julia Rifka. So J-U-L-I-A-R as in Rachel, I-V as in Victor, K-A. Um, and I post photos of my cats to my stories. So if you're not a cat person, you don't want to watch my stories. And my cat's (laughs) names are Leslie Nope. So my cats (gasps) are Leslie Nope and Ron Swanson. Oh, my gosh. Uh, We should be best friends because my cat's names are Michael Scott and Dwight Schrute. No. (laughs) (laughs) This this has been the longest played out. I was trying to connect two two cat uh, connoisseurs that... uh, Also, it's like my cat's names are a joke that only like half the people get. And if you get it, you're like, this is the most amazing thing ever. And if you don't get it, you're like, why would you name your cat? I'm like, well, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. (laughs) 
they're like, that is the strangest <laughs> name. I don't get it. And you're right. like, you don't really get me a little bit. Right, right. Yeah, inside. Like, you don't understand my life. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. well. I, go ahead. No. Oh, I was going to say, so I post food, I post workouts. Eventually, I'm just starting back at work a little bit. And um, I post some professional stuff because, you know, we live complex lives. And so I feel like you should show the whole thing. I love it. I, I wish every COO of, of companies had a elevation profile tattooed on their <laughs> arm. I mean, seriously, they, they'd have uh, a little bit different perspective. But Julia, thank you so much for taking your time. And let's have you back on, you know, in a few months. Yeah. Stay in touch, okay? Absolutely. This was fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you, Julia. Really appreciate it. That was episode 143. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Big thank you to Julia Becker Collins for taking so much of her time. What an inspirational story. Just know that she'll get through this all. And man, it's it's really affected my perception on just on on every run I do. Just in a whole new thankfulness. So I really appreciate her taking the time big thank you to Alyssa Clark for co-hosting as always she's doing an awesome job adding a really great perspective so thank you and then big thanks to Jake Jackson for writing that audio article it was awesome really really appreciate it big thank you to the show sponsors Hammer Nutrition Exoskin Kogala Destination Trail and all you Patreon supporters couldn't do this without you guys thanks so much Have a great week. Don't forget to enjoy your training.